The following message is from the 2018 IBCD Summer Institute, Loving Wayward Souls. What do you do when you're, you as a counselor are overwhelmed? Just too much is being asked of you. Um, we're all being trained to counsel and we're counseling and we're learning to counsel. But what do you do when someone leaves your church and they still want you to solve their problems or you're getting multiple phone calls a day or you're starting to feel guilty because of what the counselee is saying to you. There's no progress, but you're the one starting to feel, feel guilty. Um, I have a reputation um, for being able to manage uh, these kinds of expectations. Um, although in God's providence, uh, I missed the workshops that I wanted to see because of counseling uh, la last night. And uh, I haven't done this in a long time, but in God's providence, I was up in the middle of the night writing down what I wanted to do about this, about this counseling. And also my wife and I have way overbooked ourselves this week. So no one gets this right. <laughs> you, you swing from uh, doing too much to feeling like you're not being used. And no, no one gets it just right. But I have noticed that there's lots of people that aren't even thinking about uh, managing these things. Um, and what I've noticed what I've noticed is that people might be saying yes to helping or the level of help they give based on uh, what people think of them. And some people haven't even thought through, counselors haven't thought through managing these expectations and other counselors are, uh, are aware that um, they don't want the disapproval by saying no. And so they say yes to get the approval. So there's hard issues involved and then also people just haven't, haven't thought thought through that. Um, and what I'm talking about here is both um, literally saying no to taking on a counseling case and also mostly though managing expectations uh, th throughout, throughout the counseling case. So um, I don't want to speak for an hour about what not to do for counselees without giving some kind of disclaimer. And the disclaimer is that uh, we are to be committed to people, we're to be sacrificial, um, we're to suffer in our service, we're to be long-suffering. Uh, we heard uh, earlier session, uh, we're to learn to even take spiritual punches. So I could do a talk on that, but today we're focusing on managing expectations. So don't think I'm an uncaring, uncompassionate person. Um, but we want to be sacrificial, but we need lots of wisdom um, in, in uh, this effort. So let's start with the example of Jesus. In Luke 5.15, it says, but Jesus would often slip away, often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So uh, Jesus had personal priorities, and it can help us as counselors to have personal priorities um, in, in a similar way. So dozens of times in the Gospels, it says Jesus would go and, and rest, be with the Father, pray. And so we need to think, is this, um, is this happening in our lives? 
Also, um, Jesus had a focus on his apostles in John 14, 25, 26. It says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus had a focus on developing these representatives for him, and we need focuses on things like developing teams into being future leaders or men and women into being leaders. Um, we need to have other focuses, like proactive focuses, rather than just reactive uh, focuses. And then Mark 1, 36 to 38 says, Simon and his companions searched for him, Jesus. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. It, to me, it sounds like um, the counseling needs. Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. This is what I came for. So Jesus moved to different regions to do what he came to do, and he wasn't just driven by the demands at the moment, the demands of the people around him, and so neither, neither should, we, should we be. Okay, so for our priorities to help us manage um, uh, the counseling that we're doing in our lives, um, a first priority should be the Lord and uh, also in our own family. And um, for you all to help you uh, have priorities right, and I use this in counseling a lot to help, help counselees have their priorities right, is um, that our priorities should be God first. I think we'll all agree on that. Uh, the first commandment and the great commandment puts God first in our life. And then our spouse. There's no other relationship in Scripture that's spoken about like the marriage relationship. Um, we're to be companions. It's till death do us part. Let no man separate it. Um, we're cleaved together, one flesh. Um, it's a picture of, of Christ and the church. And then there's uh, the children, um, and then there's providing. Having a, having a home, and I put a gap here purposely because in God's mind this is a permanent uh, uh, relationship. This is a temporary stewardship, although we continue to parent um, adult kids and they to honor us, but uh, this is permanent, this is a temporary stewardship. Um, and if you, if you don't have this in order, the more you have this in order, the more you can branch out to minister to people. If, if this is out of order, you've got to start pulling in ministry and get it, getting this in order. So formal ministry is somewhere down here. This is all ministry, but formal ministry is down here. This is really clear biblical priorities. It starts getting less clear here. Honor parents probably in here somewhere or something like that. Uh, but what happens is, um, well, let me read a passage about putting the Lord first. Um, in Luke 10, 38, 39, it says, um, Now as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, 
entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. So when I say God is first, I'm talking about Mary being in, uh, in the word, being in prayer, seeking the Lord, um, growing in relationship with the Lord, spiritual disciplines for the purpose of knowing the Lord. Um, and, but what happens is uh, formal ministry can creep up here. So we get very busy with ministry, in this case counseling, but it can be any kind of ministry. And it's, so, it's good, but it's become the main thing. And so your priorities are out of order, and there's going to be unintended consequences, and there's going to be a lack of rest. And really, this is, um, can become a little God in your life. Um, so we all have to fight that. Um, so a way of managing counseling expectations is, I need to have this right in my life. So this is something you work out and you improve and you examine and you grow. Um, and it has nothing to do with discussions with the counseling and managing expectations. It's how you're, how you're organizing the, the priorities of your life. Luke 10, 40 to 42 says, But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you were worried about and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So I don't know. I don't know Martha's heart, but was Martha trying to please the people in the house? Was she trying to earn something with Jesus? But, but clearly, um, um, she needed to be here and not here at that moment. And we, can, we, can, we do slip into doing those, those same things. Another priority is that... Uh, we need to be stewards of our time, and we have limited time. And the older you get, the more you realize time is just fleeting by. Uh, when the Bible says it's uh, fleeting, um, um, it's true. Um, it's true because God says it, but it's also true because of um, our experience. So you have, to, you have to pick and choose. You don't have unlimited time. You have to pick and choose what you're going to do. Uh, an example of my own life, um, IBCD uh, was under Grace Bible Church. I was a staff counselor with IBCD. And the, we had IBCD for 10 years, and for 10 years there was a waiting list of people coming from Southern California wanting counseling. And I could have I just pretty much done counseling and, and not much anything else. And there was a lot of pressure to do that because these are hurting people and people that need help. But I had, to man I had to manage those expectations. And so because of it, I was able to accomplish other things. So one thing is my wife and I um, have become part-time missionaries in Uganda. 
and we go twice a year. And we're, we're um, when you're involved in missions or you're really uh, closely involved in supporting missionaries, there's just an experience of God that you see him provide uh, and make a way that you wouldn't without it. And so we wouldn't trade that for anything. And so far, it's fruitful. But if I just got wrapped up in just counseling, um, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Also, I'm recommending that um, you focus on counseling within your local church. I see that as the priority. I've, I've had seasons of, I have it now, I'm counseling in my local church and people outside of the church. But my priority is the local church. Um, when, so my personal choice is not to be on websites that say I'm available as, as a counselor. Now, there's other people. I'm an elder in a church, so that puts certain demands on me. If there's other people being on a website, would work out fine for them. Um, when people call me and I can't do it, I'll say, um, here's some names you can call or here's some websites you can go to. Uh, I had a um, uh, couple call me to help um, from Germany call, and they wanted to do Skype counseling. And I helped them with some other things, and they called for something else. And um, the way I dealt with it, uh, I couldn't do it. Um, but the way I dealt with it, I was just honest. I just said, this is what's going on in my family. This is what's my responsibilities at church. This is the kind of counseling load I have. I have this mission in Uganda I'm doing. And um, uh, it's too much. You know, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Um, always direct them back to their pastor to try to get help, leaders in their church. Or you can direct them to websites or references you have. I didn't have anybody in Germany. I just had to explain the reality of my situation. And the, the wife said, you know, there's an art to, being, to saying no. And it, it is true. Like, well, I think what she was saying is very few people in ministry say no to a request like that. And so um, I think sometimes you should um, do all you can. But I, I do think sometimes that you should say no. The other thing is, um, think through that most of your ministry time is positive ministry time and not uh, difficult counseling cases. Um, I, I think, um, I just think that's overwhelming. I think uh, the Lord would have us involved in a lot of positive ministry. Counseling can be, um, it can be a really clear spiritual battle. It's lies and truth battling. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's taxing physically and spiritually. So, you know, I think you have to organize your life so that you have positive time with family. You have positive time blessing people. You have positive time with friends and you're being ministered to and you have fellowship. Um, maybe, um, you know, in your devotions and serving or teaching, but things that, that are positive and not have the majority of your time in a remedial um, sort of negative um, environment. Okay, another way to manage the expectations on yourself and counselees, as they, as they understand this, manage uh, their expectations on you is there's, there's different reasons uh, for the results of counseling. And one is uh, the sovereignty of God. 
That's the overarching reason why counseling turns out, a counseling case turns out the way it does. God decides. It's God's timing. Also, counselees must be motivated. They have to, um, they have to have the right motivation. It has to be the Lord loves me, therefore I want to do these things. And if they don't have the right motivation, or at least the motivation of necessity, I need a place to live, so I'm going to go get a job. So they have to have this motivation. And if they don't have the motivation, the expectation shouldn't be on the counselor. Um, you can do nothing um, for them if the motivation is wrong. And then the counseling needs to be willing to let you help them to change their agenda. Um, the agenda of counseling is not solving problems. The agenda is how do I glorify God in the midst of these circumstances. But if they're intent on um, just changing unchangeable circumstances and rather than uh, wanting to glorify the Lord, um, then the expectation again is not on you that this is going to go well. Um, you were, we were created to glorify God. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. Um, in all things, we, we glorify the Lord. And if that's not the counselee's purpose, then the expectation is, is not on you. Very similarly is that they must be willing to let you help them change their focus. Most counselees come in and their focus is on themselves and solving their problems. Their focus has to be on God and, and other people. They have to go from being self-focused to God-focused and other-focused. If they're not going to do that, then um, you, know, you shouldn't have an expectation on yourself that, that you can uh, do a lot in that situation. Spurgeon said that the greatest joy of a Christian is to give joy to Christ. And you, you, you're going to have to help people to get there, but they got to get there. Um, this, this affectionate relationship with Christ is what's going to be needed. Christ has to have something to do with the change, or there will be, there will be no change. And then also the expectation uh, is very low if the counselee... Um, isn't willing to really listen, and that's what you'll see. Spiritually, their ears are closed. They're not listening to God's word, and they're not stopping the, the, the old patterns. So, um, you know, you can talk to them about um, that you have expectations on me to have a certain result, but if you're not willing to listen, we can't counsel indefinitely. And, and Connected to that, you know, if they're not willing to do the work that's required as part of being a counselee, counselee, biblical counseling is work for both the counselor and the counselee. Another reason for the results of uh, counseling is the Lord is teaching the counselor. For example, he might be teaching you humility that um, it's not a matter of just more and more of your insight and your effort. And I fall into that trap. If I could just keep giving insight and keep giving effort, uh, something will happen. But that's, that's a wrong expectation. I, I need to learn to stop sooner because it's not going to be me that, that does this. 
Um, I need to be humble and be watching to see what the Lord's doing. Uh, the results of counseling can just be a mystery. And then finally, um, that when you're counseling people, not all counselees are true believers. The church is a mixed multitude of tares and wheat. It's a hard concept. Um, we know people so well. It's very um, painful um, prospect when you think about friends and even church leaders. But the visible church is made up of tares and wheat. You're not looking. You know, you're not looking at uh, the the pure church. And so that can be one expl explanation. So you're not going to get someone who's not a true believer to want to move into glorifying God and uh, the love of Christ compelling them to live for him um, in, in that situation. John 8.31 says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So even Jesus had people around him that looked like his disciples, but he knew, he knew the difference between people who wanted to follow his word, wanted to bring him joy, and um, the people who were uh, following him for other reasons. Another way to manage expectations is that um, you, you manage reasonable expectations outside of the counseling room. So you meet with someone, and then often there's contact in between. But you need to manage that. I'm suggesting that you manage it. And one thing it does, it teaches the counselee that there's other priorities. The world doesn't revolve around them. You always do everything graciously and gently. But, but for one thing, they should know that you, as the counselor, have priorities, um, like, I, like I did up here. They should know that. They should also know other people need your help, and so um, that they're considerate of, of those kinds of things. And then long-standing problems uh, are not emergencies. If someone's had 20 years of marriage, uh, marriage problems and they're working with you, they can make an appointment that's convenient to all the parties involved to, to get together. Um, I'll just throw back in here the disclaimer. None of this is hard and fast, and you have to use wisdom, and you have to make your own decisions. You have to take the principles and the ideas I'm saying and use common sense and use your own discernment and wisdom in what to do. Um, Certainly, I would take a call at three in the morning and deal with an emergency. You know, we, we do that. But often, you, you, it sounds like a crisis, and it's really 20 years of problems, and it just requires an appointment. And then sometimes in between counseling, there can be repeated and inconvenient contacts. Um, so um, Jeremiah 17.5 uh, the, uh, thus says the Lord, Curses the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. Blesses the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. So um, there could be cases where um, someone's in despair and they need your help and you need to help them right away. But um, there's also, you start hearing they're calling all kinds of people and it's happening week after week. And so I'm, I'm starting to be concerned they're not going to the Lord. They're looking for a horizontal a horizontal fix. Um, so what, what I do, um, I'm honest with them. You know, I'll say, so the way my schedule works is I kind of protect my mornings and then I have appointments in the afternoon and then some evening appointments. And so I'm just honest with them that 
My mornings are my time for being in the Word and praying. Uh, I read books in the morning. I prep teaching. I do office work, and to keep to keep this to keep this going too, I need my mornings, and so um, so people will learn to that I'll get back to them in the afternoon. That that sort of thing. So I'm just honest with them, and I found people will um, they'll respond to that. And then this one, allowed time before responding to text messages, emails, or voicemails. Technology has just um, gotten us so busy, but it's also gotten everybody to expect an instant answer back. Um, um, I can remember I was uh, a manager in, uh, in my career, and I, I got an email, and the person walked in my office seconds later, well, what's the answer to my email? You know, I hadn't even really looked at it or considered it, but that's that's the expectation people have. And so, counselees have that too. I, I have a general practice of, uh, if let's say I get a text uh, in the morning, I might not answer that text till the evening or the next day. Um, now, depending who it is and what I know is going on with the person, um, if it's my wife, she gets an instant <laughs> instant answer. Um, but I, 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 just am, I just can't function well in the technology of instant, instant answers. And what I found is if I get a text in the morning and I know the person, I know it's not a true um, crisis, I get back to them that evening, uh, very often the problem has gone away. Uh, either they figured it out, uh, circumstances changed, um, but the problem has gone away. It happens over and over and over. Uh, uh, for me, as um, I'm taking it as an encouragement that that's, that makes sense. Okay, and then also managing uh, expectations outside of counseling. I, I say text messages are not for counseling. Um, it's a very poor form of communication. Uh, you you don't have like if we're talking, we have. We're going back and forth, back and forth until I'm comfortable. I understand. I see the body language. I, I see, you know, that they're agreeing. I see that's painful. Um, so it's a very poor form of communication. I actually, a, a while back, uh, I had, a long time ago, I had, I was trying to help someone be a text, and I, I told them to go and, and grant forgiveness to this person. So. A few days later, we met. We met in face-to-face in counseling, and this person had gone and confessed. And I looked at the text message, and I don't know how they got that out of it, but um, but she did the opposite of what I had intended. And um, um, that probably doesn't surprise you. Working, I mean, that's just the way we are as people. And you miss one word in the text message, and um, uh, their own heart desires are driving them to do some particular thing, but it's a very poor form of communication. So I, I don't give counsel on um, email or text messages. Um, I want it face-to-face or, or on the telephone. Um, again, it's not hard and fast that I don't always do that. What, what, uh, now that I've said this, what kinds of things do you think text messages are good for with a counselee? I'm late for an appointment. Yeah, I'm late. What else? Radio interviews and, and emails, all of those kinds of things 
are taken completely out of context. You know, hear a radio counselor give a mm -hmm. counsel to an incoming phone call, mm -hmm. and half the world does what he said to do, mm -hmm. and it was a totally different situation. Yeah, so the, for the recording, the example of uh, even on the radio giving counsel, there can be misunderstandings, and the person on the, not on the phone, but the person listening could apply it, and it doesn't apply to their circumstances. Not enough questions were asked. You have to ask 100 questions. You can't start giving out counsel or even scripture until you understand what's going on, or you're going to be giving out the wrong counsel or the wrong, the wrong scriptures. Uh, so um, I have a list there of just examples. But um, So sending scripture, saying I'm praying for you, um, setting up a time to meet, confirming an appointment, or as you said, um, I'm going to be five minutes late. That, to me, that's what texting the value of, of, of text messages are for. Okay, another way to manage expectations on yourself or others' expectations on you is to set up a care team. Generally, when I get a very tough case, one of the first things that comes to my mind is, who can help me? And I, I just refer to it as a care team. Um, I, I need, like, I need someone to also have a viewpoint about this and help me with what, like, conclusions I should come to. I need people praying. I need a friend to be with this person, and we can all build trust together. Uh, I need someone to give them a ride. So just sometimes uh, these cases can be uh, too demanding, too time-consuming, and just kind of overwhelming. And just one person is not adequate for these things. Uh, so, so you put together a team, and you agree with the counselee on who this team's going to be. You'd say, who, who can we involve? that um, can help us. And, and usually they'll have um, you know, a friend or a godly couple they know, that kind of thing, that can be involved. Who, who, uh, who comes to mind that could be part of a, most any care team when you feel overwhelmed? Pastor. Yep, the person's pastor. Thank you for your patience. Okay, so you, you want to seek out a natural care team. Uh, pastor. Elder. Um, some kind of leader. Who else? Spouse, spouse can be. Uh, if the spouse is... Uh, Part of the problem, then it would be someone else. Close friend. Yep. So you try to pick a godly friend, um, if possible. Um, you, you kind of talk to them about their friends and kind of help pick one friend that you think would be most helpful. Who else? What's that? Okay, I'm going to get to that. Yeah. 
you know who has had a similar difficulty with some victory? Okay. Uh, yeah, that could be um, just some specific uh, uh, specific. Or who would at least understand? Yeah, someone with a specific experience uh, can shed insight. How did they get through it? Uh, be compassionate towards it, towards the person. So, um, so I have pastor, elder. I added leader here, wives, um, deacon. Parents, obviously sometimes people wouldn't, specifically wouldn't want certain people involved, but they might, um, godly friend and a godly couple. So you build this team and the team, the team can give you a lot of data because these people you're picking know this person, usually. They can give you data about the situation. And you ask them, how can you help? I've asked people before, would you get involved in this very difficult situation? And they've said, no. And I've asked people, and they've said, yes, I will. Um, so uh, what it does is it, it brings in community support. Instead of everything being on your shoulders, you take advantage of the community. And, and the community without gossip. Because if you don't have a team, it doesn't have to be all these people. It can be you know, partial, part of this list. But typically what happens, if someone has no community support, they've been keeping this all to themselves, they're leaking out gossiping to different people who aren't involved. And because they're not involved and they're not going to be helpful, it, it's gossip going on. I, I understand because of the, the struggle someone's going through. But when you build a team and they can talk to this team, it stops that too. So instead of talking to community that's not going to be part of helping, they'll talk to a hand-picked community that will help. And it also, as a side benefit, prevents uh, gossip. And then you'll get from these people um, insights. They might say, are you forgetting this? Or I think this should happen? Or this is my opinion on this? So you can get two people or three people. Um, and then they can also influence. Maybe the person's afraid to do something they need to do, and these people have a long-standing relationship. Um, that's the other beauty of this is um, the first uh, essential in biblical counseling is to build a relationship with the person. So you're bringing in people that have a relationship with them, people that they trust. And then you're getting more prayer going on. Okay, another way to manage expectations on yourself is um, if, if it isn't going well and you're getting anxious, you're troubled, and I don't mean all ministry has a burden aspect to it, um, but this isn't going well, it's going on too long, you need to go get counsel and say, here's the situation, what do I do? Um, do I do something different? Um, am I not, uh, do I need to stick with it? Do I need to stop the counseling? Um, in a case where you've been working with someone a long time and they are just not compliant you know, at all, they're, they're wrong motives, not doing the work, there's counseling to stop. 
and or do I need to transfer the care of the person? So you, you need to get counsel sometimes to help you manage. And I'll kind of explain a little more. Um, so what happens is, um, for me anyway, um, there's a lot of pressure put on you in the counseling situation, especially ones that aren't going well. And um, people use guilt and sympathy to keep you engaged and keep you going down uh, a futile path. And so you can't keep going down that path for the wrong reasons uh, forever. And so if you get counsel that says you do need to transfer care of this person or you do need to stop, it counteracts the pressure coming at you from, from the counselee or counselees that you're working with. And so part of that, it counteracts your heart issues. So for me, I might keep going because I think my effort is going to do this. Or I don't want their disapproval. Or I'm worried about what they're going to say about me if it doesn't go well. So there's these heart issues of pride um, that would keep you going too long. And the council will counteract that. So. Um, I had a case where three years trying to help this couple and um, not making progress. Um, I'm weary from it. I went and got counsel, laid out some of the key specifics. Um, the counsel was to stop counseling. So I graciously explained it to the people. And obviously, if you say stop counseling, you tell them what needs to be done to start counseling again. Um, it could be we need to get your motive to be um, to glorify God or um, when you get a job, we'll start up again. <laughs> you know, it could be something practical. It could be something, um, something in the relationship with the Lord. Um, so I was being uh, guilted like I'm not doing enough or guilted that I'm not concerned enough and getting spiritual punches. Uh, along the way and then sympathy being used of how rough their life is and how bad their spouse is and it just it, enough was being done on their part and enough guilt and sympathy to just to keep me in this thing for for three years and so for me and plus my heart issues are keeping me in there right <coughs> thinking I can I can resolve this and what are they going to think of me if I don't and um, so um, I what I would do when I would start getting my heart pulled um, being manipulated or my own heart issues, I would think of the counsel I got to stop. And that was enough to have me stop and stay the course. Um, I'm trying to give them counsel, but I'm not going to follow counsel. Um, in my case, it was counsel of a board of elders to tell me to stop. And um, so that helped me to um, go forward. Uh, this particular case, um, two other competent counselors tried after. and. There was, there was no progress. Okay, um, so you can also manage the expectations on yourself by transferring care to another counselor. There are times when you could give care to another counselor. Uh, um, you, could, you could bring a, a female in who could do a better job, more experienced in what we're doing, what we're dealing with. Uh, another counselor God just chooses to use. So there is times when you have someone else try and see, see what, what may happen. But I will say, my experience, if someone's been counseled by a competent counselor for a long time and it's really bad, 
the ones I've taken on, so let me give a shot at it, it hasn't gone well. So you can kind of expect that. Um, now, if they've had bad counsel, unbiblical counsel, they're not using the Bible, um, or you have, uh, they're doing marriage counseling and it should be abuse counseling, like some big errors being made and then you take it over, yeah, you can, you can make good progress. Um, people come to IBCD for, for years with poor counsel and then they get counsel from, from the scriptures. The other thing you can do to uh, limit the expectations on yourself and having this, the whole burden of this on your shoulders is um, bring in a second counselor to help you. Now you have someone who uh, may see if they agree with your conclusions or they don't or um, the two people can be more helpful or you could add an elder to the situation. So there's two of you with an elder um, or some situations are such that it really needs to go to an elder board to, to, be, to be dealt with. Um, so just figuring out um, if it's time to transfer care. In our church, when a marriage is talking about separating, so if any of our elders are counseling somebody is talking about separating, we bring in a second elder uh, right away. It's just too difficult of a case for one person and too important of a circumstance. So um, team counseling is, is wonderful. Um, pastors will come to IBCD for um, help. Um, they'll bring someone from their church with them and two of us will meet with that pastor and it's, it's, we can do a much better job, the two of us t together. Uh, another way you can think about transferring care is sometimes you just have to transfer care to the counselee's own responsibility. Um, you've been teaching them what to do, and um, you see this homework up here. Um, you've been giving them uh, scripture to read, um, hopefully praying also in response to reading their Bible, maybe memorizing scripture. You've been giving them stuff to read, good biblical material to read, like a booklet or books. You're helping them with their prayer. What are you praying about? Um, trying to get them in a routine of prayer. And in counseling, you try to connect them to the body of Christ in various ways. And so this homework needs to be their lifestyle. And so sometimes you can just say, what we're doing here is not fruitful now. Why don't we just you just begin to do what we've taught and you be responsible for um, the lifestyle, a Christian lifestyle that's going to bring, um, going to bring blessing to your life. And then similarly, you, you, you transfer care just to the, to the body of Christ that you've been trying individually to help them, but now um, you want to make sure they're under all these means of grace and you can talk it out with them um, that multiple shepherds in your church know what's going on with you, they're praying for you, um, you're under the preaching, maybe coming to adult Sunday school under the teaching or some midweek thing, you're participating in the Lord's Supper which is by faith a, a means of spiritual strengthening. Um, it could be some one-on-one -on -one discipleship at some point, fellowship, do they have good friends that they're with, are they in a small group? Maybe they need benevolence, they need practical help or financial help, or maybe it's church discipline. But somehow you as a lone counselor, this is, this is not a situation where 
Um, the expectation is for you to fix all this. It's just they need to get, they need to spend some time just properly being part of the body of Christ. Okay, so um, in conclusion, um, and then we'll do some question and answer after I pray. Um, so we have to give wise counsel um, or people will be harmed. Um, and the church, um, the church knows when the council isn't wise. They sense like it's just sort of an injustice going on. Things aren't being, aren't being ha handled well. In uh, 1 Kings 3.11, God said to him, Solomon, because you've asked this thing, ask for yourself wisdom to understand justice. So we, we have to give wise counsel to people. People will get harmed. The whole church will sense that there's an incompetence going on, there's not a justice going on in how things are being handled. However, um, we aren't Jesus, and so we also need the wisdom that um, we have human limitations. So it's both. The wisdom has to be given to our people. We don't harm them. They, they feel that a lot of justice is going on. Things are competent. And then, uh, but we also have the wisdom that we're not omnipotent, we're not omniscient. Um, we are not Jesus, we have these limitations. And then even Jesus uh, established priorities. He regularly withdrew for prayer and time with the Father. Um, he had a priority of developing leaders, which we can be involved in positive ministry. Um, and he wasn't driven by the demands of everybody around him. There was more um, a purpose, a mission, more thought uh, put into it. And then um, the wonderful counselor is working good in all these difficult cases, not just for the counselee, but for us also, the counselors. And so give this some thought. It could be just teaching will help you. Maybe little parts of it will help you, not all of it. Um, but also for some of us, maybe a time with the Lord of repentance and faith. Repentance and um, that we haven't been willing to kind of make uncomfortable change. We've been driven by, by hard idols and what people think of us and things like that. But faith that the Lord can make these kind of changes and that we can be sanctified in this way and, um, and do better. So a final verse, Ephesians 5:15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for he came to serve us, give his life as a ransom for many. And by his power, by the Spirit, and by his example, uh, motivated by his love and service to us. We, we want to serve. We want to minister. We want to sacrifice for people. But we also want to be wise, understand our human limitations. Sometimes, Lord, I think you make ministry easier than we make it. Help us to um, learn in that way. Help us to regularly withdraw um, from ministry to be with you um, for times of prayer, build it into our daily life, our weekly life, and seasons of rest. And um, help us to be involved in positive ministry, uh, not just remedial counseling. Help us not to be um, driven by the demands of others, but yet help us to lay our life down 
um, for um, for the brethren um, that because you loved us um, that we can spend a lifetime loving people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2018 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available on our app and at ibcd.org.